I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. This is where the fun begins. Hello everyone, and welcome to a special bonus episode of Jedi Knights, the official Star Wars podcast for JoyClicks. Uh, this is the first episode we're recording in 2021, but the second episode you'll see, I'm your host, Christian Buckley, joined as always by Mike Connors. Yes, uh, usually the only co-host here, but we got another co-host as well, uh, if she'd like to introduce herself. Yes, very special Hi, I'm Kayla. Um, it's great to be on. I watch this podcast a lot, and uh, it's really great to be on it and get to talk about Star Wars because it's something I really love too. Yeah, so uh, we are doing a special episode dedicated to season two of The Mandalorian. Uh, we will lead off with general impressions, you know, a month later. Um, but specifically, uh, why Kayla's here is because uh, she was talking to me as the season was going on of Mando Season 2, bringing up some interesting points about the Mandalorian, Din Djarin, as a protagonist, specifically the way he's portrayed as a parental figure, uh, parental, parental figure, <laughs> um, and how he, like, crosses some lines of breaking down typical, like, the stoic father and like really interesting character things so we're gonna get to all of that um but before we dive in kayla i think it's only fair since you are a star wars fan and you know there's nothing more harsh than the judgment of star wars fans against other <laughs> star wars fans um for the listeners what is your favorite star wars movie and who's your favorite star wars character my favorite Star Wars movie is Revenge of the Sith, and if it's no surprise, Anakin is my favorite Star Wars character. Okay. That, I feel like uh, some people would say Revenge of the Sith is a bold choice, but that's a good that's a good film. Mm-hmm. I, I've watched it like four times in the past three weeks, I think. <laughs> so. Um, um, any, any reasoning to Anakin being your favorite, I guess? I just made a TikTok about this. I would say it. <laughs> Go check out my TikTok. But he, <laughs> he is... Plug the TikTok, a, yeah. Yeah, go check it out. I can't say it on air. Um, okay. He's such a tragic, like, beautifully tragic character. Like, the poetry is beautiful. His love affair with Obi-Wan just it hurts my soul. And he's just, like, he's witty and he's quirky and funny and he's such a badass. And then his just tragic fall, I just love him. Mm-hmm. I feel that. I feel that. With the redemption and everything, it's good stuff. And okay. potential uh, important detail, you're talking specifically about Hayden Anakin. You like him more than Clone Wars Anakin, right? Uh, the, yes, but just because he's beautiful. <laughs> he's so pretty mm-hmm. and a lot of people get mad about like him delivering the character but he's perfect he's just the right amount of whiny and beautiful all into one all right he is beautiful yes, I, have to say. Uh, I can't wait to he's see beautiful. his beautiful face scarred in the vader suit in kenobi but why don't we talk a little bit about season two of the mandalorian um if you are following along with the show in the back half of 2020 Uh, Mike and I were doing weekly recaps of The Mandalorian Season 2, similar to how we did Season 1. Over the break, the the episode that's already out this week is probably going to go a little more in-depth on the wider reaches of our Star Wars experience over the break, but I did watch The Mandalorian Gallery, Mike. Uh, I watched it with Kayla. I don't think you have yet. I have not watched that yet. We were talking a bit before the podcast about it, but... Mm -hmm um yeah what did you like it it was good they didn't touch on luke at all which was a little disappointing but uh kayla from like a technical perspective i don't know i didn't watch all of season one of the gallery because last year for season one of mando they did like episode by episode recaps Mm -hmm. as a documentary sort of what were your highlights in terms of like the technical stuff was it really just seeing the set and seeing how they expanded the scope and talking to the directors yeah, I felt like it was just a good glimpse into like behind the scenes and and like hearing from each actor or actress. I thought it was really nice. Um, I didn't think it was like, you know, this really well set up documentary, but I think it served its purpose of like here's behind the scenes and this is what we did. And I thought it was super cool mm-hmm. to see like the different directors and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
My question is, did they do any of like the table conversations like they did in this the first season? No. It was mostly just like talking heads. Um, it was interesting though because the format of the documentary it went from like director to director, so each episode kind of got like ten minutes almost. Oh, um, okay. I would say, and um, it was it was really cool. You know, like Bryce Dallas Howard was there as a returning director, and so was Rick Famuyiwa. Them talking about their episodes, which were a couple of my favorites, was pretty interesting and. Yeah. You know, we just saw more of the 360 set, so it's it was solid. Um, not no crazy revelations like we got with Filoni talking about Qui Gon the first season, but you know, you know, you said that they didn't bring up Luke, and we were kind of discussing this beforehand. Why do you think they didn't do that? Uh, and number the second point I want to make is I feel like the first season eight episodes that was way too much, mm-hmm. but but maybe this sounds like it was too, like not enough content, maybe. Yeah, I mean. I thought it was interesting, but it did feel like a compilation of like some 10 minute featurettes. So it, there wasn't much substance to get out of it. Like, Kale, did you think there was anything more than that? No, I think it was it was pretty much that. And I, I think like we were saying earlier, like they didn't show Luke because of spoilers and trying to keep it under wraps. And maybe I think we were talking about I don't know when they completed the documentary, so I don't know if they completed it before the last episode or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. So, other than that, though, season two of The Mandalorian has ended. Um, in hindsight, how are we feeling, Mike? Has have your thoughts changed? Do you have a standout episode? <laughs> Do you remember all the episodes? Like, what's your read looking back at Mando season two? Uh, looking back on it, I'd have to say that I was more impressed with it than I was season one. Um, I think there was like a lot more high parts of season two. I think the show's fine or season one rather. I think the show's finally coming into its own um, in, in, in many ways that we'll talk about later on in this episode. Um, like both just in terms of like the characters and the overall lore, but like also thematically. And then also uh, just like thinking about the episodes in season two. Probably my least favorite would be the second one where they like do the whole frog lady thing. Mm-hmm. Just seems sort of like, sort of like out there. Uh, but I understand it. Like you know, season one was a lot, had a lot of those episodes as well. Um, I feel like I feel like Kayla, maybe you don't agree or maybe you disagree. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just have a, a deep fear of the frog lady. I'm sorry. <laughs> she troubles me. Very scary. It was, it was very interesting, though, because in that documentary, they showed a bunch of, like, the sets and stuff and, like, shooting on location. And they, were, they showed the the nude frog lady, like, in, like, as she was in the bathing scene. And, like... Oh, my God. I, yeah. Like, <laughs> the, the, the actress who was playing uh, the frog lady, like, you could see her face between the mouth. And they, like, they just edit that out. It was really, really surreal um, that is so strange yeah but i did realize also um whoever was like on set in the, the costume also was on set for quill in season one and it was just nick nolte did the vo after the fact oh it was so it was the same actor or whatever yeah it was the same uh woman on set and um it was cool because talking about like adr and the celebrity guests uh john leguizamo who is the mob boss in episode one um they showed him and Din, or him and Pedro in the booth, like doing their back and forth, which was neat. But um, yeah, uh, Kayla, for you with season two compared to season one, uh, do you think it was better, stronger? Like, what aspects of season two um, stick out in your mind as opposed to season one or just as a whole? Or because, yeah, I thought it was way stronger because I like how it. In season one, it was a lot of side quests that didn't really have a lot to do with anything. And season two followed this more like straight arc while having some of the side quests, which I like. Um, And I was also, I was finishing Clone Wars at the time that the Ahsoka episode happened. So it was like such a great connection into that. And I was like freaking out. So season two was better than season one for me. Yeah, I'm with both of you. I think season two is a stronger season. I still like the vibe of season one a lot, you know? Um, I think a lot of that is retained with season two. It's just a difference of we're still doing side quests mostly, but the scale of the side quests are blown up. 
Um, yeah. And I think from the first episode, that's very clear. Like, the crate Dragon that was shot in IMAX, like, very clearly strong first impression. It's like, oh, hey, okay, we're doing some big-time stuff this season. And even the stuff that does feel a little lower budge, and it's I don't even think it's low budge. I've just seen the complaint thrown around a lot. But, like, the Boba Fett fight, um, when he, like, fights all the Stormtroopers, people are like, it looks like a fan film. Um, I still think that thematically that's a big moment that's still bigger than most of the set pieces from season one i don't think any of the moments in this season sort of felt like low budget i felt i feel like a lot of them were pretty pretty solid all the way through if anything i thought that season one maybe was like sort of skimping in those areas more but yeah i mean that's just me um looking back do we have favorite episodes yeah, the Ahsoka episode, <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. It was so cool to see her in live action. Um, you know, I think she did great. I know um, there are a lot of opinions about the Ahsoka episode, but I thought it was great and really powerful to finally see like her not as animation. Yeah. Mike, I knew you were pretty hot on that episode too, right? Yeah, that episode's definitely up there. Uh, I'm not sure like what exactly was my favorite. I'd probably have to just like really think about that. But the one that comes to mind is probably the one with Bill Burr. I just sure. thought that, that was that he did a really great job in that role, and I like <laughs> sort of just like the back and forth between him and Mando, though there is really just like a one way back and forth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> though I thought it was interesting, and the way that that episode ends is pretty badass. So yeah, do the sock charge, mm-hmm. seismic charge. Um, yeah, it was interesting though because you you bring that up. Uh, the main standout for me in that episode, I think, is how it's written because I think a lot of the mandalorian the writing isn't like the thing that is the highlight of the show you know it's it's fine but i think that episode was such a standout because that final scene with like the officer and bill burr and like it dances around that like hey there's some gray stuff in star wars the way something like the last jedi does or something like rogue one to an extent where it's like hey the rebellion isn't perfect you know like there is that questioning of like the both side heroes on both sides the, the, the <laughs> crawl but like yeah i i i'm with both of you both those episodes were awesome clearly like obviously the finale was really great too um and there was i think there was one other one i liked a lot do you have a favorite yeah like one that's maybe different than the one that we picked i mean i liked the episode with Bo introducing mm. her mm. um because I think that was the Bryce Dallas Howard episode. Um, yeah. Because it was like a, an abridged version, but it was like, no. It's similar to the heist episode in season one, but without the fat, which I appreciated. No, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm trying to remember. That one was like, that was on the water planet, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. It, it was there. We dropped off Frog Lady. She babysat Grogu. And then we did the pirate heist. Right. So that was pretty cool um so yeah i think now would be a good time to bring up the big central focus of season two which is Din Djarin mm-hmm. warming up to this kid this this child which is introduced in an interesting way because season one leaves off with him clearly like he's risking it all for the kid but it's mainly for the code but this season we see him question the code a lot we see um many other characters like grief Karga. When we, I think that was episode two. That's a good one, the Carl Weathers episode. True. Um, mm. Like when he's introduced, and it's like everybody is just celebrating being back. It feels like in the first few episodes, and when we go back to uh, Navarro, he's just hyped up about this kid, and he's like, "Oh, the kid, he's okay." <laughs> like, it's a lot more openness about caring for this kid. And Kayla, do you want to like tee up? what your whole read was and we can just dive into some of the points you have yeah yeah i mean um you know mando starting to care for this kid really made me think about like this father son theme that we have going on in star wars i mean like literally the i am your father is like the most iconic quote probably from star wars and it's what people know and it's like it's like there is a reason why that's such an important quote. Um, and I think that this season and Mandalorian's actions like really help redefine this quote. Um, 
into something brand new that we haven't seen before in Star Wars. Um, so, you know, we can like take, um, I guess this is where I wanted to like see what you guys thought. Like you could take Vader and Luke, you could take Obi-Wan and Anakin, Han and Kylo Ren, and then you have you know, like Din and Grogu and like, how are all those fatherly figures different from each other? Like, mm -hmm. first of all, is like, I thought a great point to start on about Mando. Yeah. I think one of the things that I'm thinking about here when we talk about like Luke and Vader or like Anakin and Obi-Wan or Kylo Ren and his dad, um, Han Solo, is there's like this sort of like this need for the the like, you know, the the person like like Luke and Vader's relationship, like Luke is sort of like searching for like that father, I guess. And like Anakin sees like a father figure in Obi-Wan and Kylo Ren like had daddy issues. We all know that. But like with Grogu and Mando, it seems like it's kind of flipped. Like Grogu doesn't necessarily maybe need Mando, but like as Mando and Grogu sort of connect together, it seems as though Mando needs Grogu more than like any of these other pairings um, in that way, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I think also I'll add on to that because I agree, Mike, with what you're saying. Um, what I find interesting about it is that like the typical, th like if you look at, Anakin Obi-Wan, if you look at Luke and Vader, antagonistic, right? Like, there's a lot of friction. You know, even Anakin and Obi-Wan, who even in Clone Wars are very close, they, they butt heads a lot. Um, uh, Han, Kylo killed his dad. Um, so clearly some friction and tension. And, like, there's a lot of that relationship, you know? Like, I think with Kylo Ren and Han, we eventually got to a point, and Luke and Vader also, we got to a point where, like, there's resolution there and, like, there's healing. But it took, what, three movies for both of those f relationships to change like that? Um, and I think it, they kind of end with finality. With Mandalorian, it's interesting because season one, it was sort of Mando fitting into that stoic dad um i'm not gonna show any care for you because i don't want to get attached like this is my job i'm treating it like a job but season two could be his like return of the jedi where luke and vader are on the bridge talking like it's too late for me son like like the more in like in tune emotionally type type thing yeah definitely i mean i think looking at this the thing i noticed is that like all previous fatherly figures were so unavailable to their children and like refused to be vulnerable and that has just created such a bad habit in star wars of creating these like dysfunctional fathers and then their sons have daddy issues and all have a dark side in them um and i really think that like din navigating fatherhood and like his masculinity and how to take care of grogu in season two like really breaks that um, barrier down totally i think that's you know we see like din sort of like reject grogu in the beginning of season one as well uh but like you know through the through the experiences that he has with him um it's cool to see that progression over time where like you know he's he started he definitely like flips that on its head and grogu becomes like the center of like everything he's doing um so it's it's yeah it's it, I, I see where, i see the point here and it's really interesting because it, it definitely does flip everything that like Star Wars already had about these themes like on its head for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think like that also goes along with um, like what society and like even like Din's like how he was brought up and like his experience of masculinity and how he was brought up at the Death Watch and like what he was supposed to be. Um, and what all these like fatherly figures like are supposed to be and what Vader is supposed to be. Um, and he grew up in like very strict and masculine environment. Um, and now that he's like having to take care of Grogu, he's like kind of lost on how to be a caretaker. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's an interesting point too. And you just made me think of this and I don't know if this is something you're planning on getting to, but um, specifically if we tie it back to season one with just, the foundling group that he was rolling with i don't remember if they were all foundlings they were all mandalorian but it seemed like at least this was the vibe i got from that group that was operating on navarro like in secret it seemed like the armor was sort of the matriarch in a way like she was the one that was in charge of <clears throat> giving commands to everyone and i'm 
she's the one that gave him the quest. So, like, do you think that has anything to do with, like, this continual realization of him stepping into a father position or a parental position? Because at the end of season one, she crowns, or, cr I forget what it is. She's like, you're a group of two now. Like, you're a clan of two. So, like, do you think he'd be stepping into the role the armor was in for their group? And, like, she was not really she was providing for them but in a way that was like hey i can like craft you stuff you know like it's it's still like a caretaker position yeah i think he was definitely stepping into that role but i think as that role what he experienced like he was so closed off because that's how he needed to survive sure. um but now in this new role with grogu he's kind of like redefining his own life so i don't know that she would be like a good um, role model or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting though, because we know that season two sort of established the fact that Din Djarin is part of like this religious culty sort of sect of the Mandalorian, mm -hmm. Mandalorians. And it does seem as though like the armor uh, was sort of like the matriarch of that underground clan. It makes me wonder like what sort of like different like uh, power structures that like these different clans of Mandalorians have after whatever happened on Mandalore since they're not there anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> one thing I was thinking of though is we know also that like Din, Din Djarin is basically like an orphan um, and and I guess I was wondering what sort of impact do you think that has in, in his sort of his character wanting to take care of Grogu and take him in sort of has you know he was taken in by the Mandalorians. Yeah, I don't know that he has been shown affection ever. So now he has this thing that, like, he has been showing affection towards, but he maybe, like, definitely at the beginning of season two, he doesn't realize it or he doesn't want to let himself realize it because he's never been shown that. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, and the entire existence of the Mandalorians, I think, in every single piece of star wars media we've seen like even in the the clone wars where the clone wars and like satine satine's trying to get away from the image of the mandalorians and how the universe sees them as like barbarians you know like ever since they fought with the jedi and the old republic like it's that image of the the mandalorians and the way of the mandalore is like a barbaric warrior tribe that also has a civilization right like it's it's that first and the way people look at mando when he walks into a bar it's like oh okay they clearly fear him so i'm wondering if that too is also sort of the way they tell their story about din and his growth i wonder if like favreau and filoni when they wrote the season they were like leaning into that as sort of the the analog for the norms of masculinity that you're talking about Mm, yeah that as a masculine male everyone should be scared of you type thing sure and just like using the guise of like the mandalorians are supposed to be these barbaric people and that's what people see you know like that's how he cover he literally covers himself in that yeah i think that's a good point i think i mean i think that's why he is so reluctant to show affection towards grogu or any any type of care or like acknowledge that care um and this actually leads into another point I wanted to bring up is I think the episode with Ahsoka is a real turning point for him where she makes him realize that like, oh, I do care about this little child that I've been carrying around and his brain kind of explodes a little bit. Um, and I think a really great indicator is that of that is how he always calls, he never... Even after learning Grogu's name, he never wanted to call him that at first. He was always like, oh, like, hey, kid, or the child. But he never he never knew his name. And then when Ahsoka's like, his name is Grogu, he was like, okay, kid. So um, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, I guess, like, the power of naming someone um, or something and how it can, like, by calling him Grogu, it can indicate his affection for him and maybe why he didn't want to do that at first. 
it's it's interesting too i think the showrunners make a point to show that like grogu whenever someone says his name that he like responds to that in a different way mm-hmm. <laughs> um and, and so like you see that like when mando calls him grogu i think it's like when they're in the razor crest in some episode like he like grogu responds in a different way visually for like as a as a viewer like you see the difference uh between those two those two ways that he treats grogu and so yeah, it's it's interesting to see him sort of like progress over time to to sort of become attached to him. Yeah, and like I think the scene you're talking about is the episode immediately after the Ahsoka one. Is it okay? I think it's like the cold open because he like he's just flying the cockpit. He looks down at me. He says Grogu, and he like looks up at him, and they like. I think he just like shoes him off, and then he does it again, and then he laughs, and like that's the first time we ever heard him laugh. You know, we're like show any emotion that's not trying to be threatening, which I thought was cute, but um. I, yeah, I can make a comparison, too. Uh, I don't know if either of you have experience with this, but I don't know if this is tropey or not, but um, the newer God of War <laughs> game from 2018, uh, Kratos, guy. Like, screams at everything, kills everything he sees. There's literally a sex minigame in the old games. Like, it's very, very dripping in that stuff. And, like, 2018 makes him a dad. And the entire game, he calls his son boy. And it became a meme. But, like, there's a certain point where he, like, has a really tender moment and calls him son or Atreus. And it's, it's that, it reminded me of that, you know, like, just the relying on the name to really show, like, a vulnerability. And I'm sure you'll get to this too, but, like, the armor as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, that's definitely, like, a huge sign of, like, showing vulnerability and, like, a connection and ownership with somebody. And just the fact that Mando isn't comfortable with saying Grogu because he's uncomfortable with the fact that he does care about like this kid um and uncomfortable about tapping into this like traditionally feminine trait inside of him um because he was raised in such a masculine environment that tapping into his more feminine side is like really scary for him at first it makes me wonder what the showrunners are going to do with this going forward because you know like not to you know spoilers for season two but like uh you know right right at the end he gives grogu up to 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 luke and we've seen over the past two seasons how you know what a connection that they've grown together and 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 how much mando loves uh grogu i think i think when we're talking about you know din jarn having to deal with his own masculinity and stuff it'll be really interesting to see like where this takes him going forward like how he's going to deal with that like loss Mm -hmm. uh, of someone that he loves obviously and and yeah i I think that that a, lo- a large part of it is his him going to have to deal with like his preconceptions of like what a Mandalorian is and like what he's supposed to be in this big world because you know he's gone from like being this like you know badass bounty hunter who like doesn't care to somebody who's like extremely attached to you know his son um, mm-hmm. and so yeah it's going to be interesting to see like how he deals with that going forward um, yeah. he didn't look he didn't look good the last few few frames he looked real sad yeah. so <laughs> yeah season three is empty nest syndrome him dealing with that you know yeah exactly. I mean, like that would be perfect yeah because mm-hmm. yeah mike i'm wondering and i think caleb pointed this out too like what mm-hmm. direction do they go with it like is it him using that feeling to like redefine who he is or does he double down and be like all right gotta kill a bunch of people gotta be the badass bounty hunter again gotta like wall myself off become the king of mandalore like i don't know what direction they'll go in it almost yeah. would be more interesting right if he if he did that uh, you know the lot that you know bit like walling himself off and just like building himself up and like doubling down on what he was before uh kayla do you want to say something on that oh yeah yeah that was yeah that was just a super great point i hadn't even thought of because at the end um i actually wrote down that him giving grogu off to luke is like the strongest and like most intense way to show that you care about someone is like letting them go and like seek their full potential or safety or whatever um and then he cried over him and that is definitely breaking down some masculine walls and showing his feminine side because that i guess that's a traditionally feminine trait which it shouldn't be so i'm glad this man is showing emotions um but yeah that i think that's such a great point because we finally did see him cry and like completely break down so now he's like he's heartbroken and how is a man who has d- done this whole arc going to come back from being so heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, wondering if you guys think he's going to find Grogu again. Just, you know, 
purely plot wise. <laughs> I'd assume like he he, he tells him well yeah he when he gives him to Luke he's like I'll come back for you you know I think it's just like hey you gotta do your training first like this is something you need you know totally yeah I, I think yeah I think I'm, the... I'm interested. go ahead <laughs> oh I was just gonna agree with with Christian and say that, yeah. <laughs> I definitely oh, yeah. think he's gonna have to yeah do you would you I was gonna agree as well <laughs> do you guys think that would be better off saved as like a conclusion of season three thing and then we just deal with the emptiness for a lot in season three because I, I think we're on the same page where after Favreau was like the, the heart of the show is Mandalorian and the child I think taking one aspect out of it for at least maybe half a season or like three quarters of a season would do very well to help build up Din's character more because I think out the gate in season one, just seeing him have this caretaker relationship, even if it was just sort of like surface level, I, I think immediately made him one of my favorite Star Wars characters and infinitely cooler than Boba Fett ever was. Like, so. For a while. For a while. For a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm wondering if, like, that absence would be better served for like a couple episodes or a whole season like w what would you two prefer to see i guess mm, that's interesting i think mm, maybe a whole season maybe mm -hmm. just to see um because like he is this father figure now um he's a father figure and a mother figure like he's navigating both of those and you know, I, I think it would be really interesting to see how he deals with, like, the empty nest syndrome, because I think Star Wars is making commentary on how, like, um, there are more, like, stay-at-home dads now, and there are more mothers who are going to work, and, and like, the dads who have to, like, dads face emotion, too, and they face empty nest syndrome, too, in addition to mothers. So I think commenting further on that and having that emptiness would be really cool to see him navigate and find out even more about like his more feminine side sure i think like us as viewers were also put in mando's shoes in a way uh you know like you said previously christian um you know favreau has has said in the past that like grogu is the center of the show he's like the emotional core it seems and you know like taking that away not only does that affect like you know din jaren within the star wars universe but us as viewers too like we're going to be going through that with him yeah right like uh so i don't know how long that should be i i, I it should be for I, in my opinion i feel like it should be for at least a few episodes maybe even an entire season mm -hmm. like you know having having the viewer go through that with with the with din jaren i think would be more impactful but yeah and i think off the track record of the show so far and the way they handle fan servicey things with legacy content i feel like by season three you can have some fan service moments within your own show and I feel like it writes itself for the finale to be like the triumphant return of Groku, you know, like with his <laughs> mini little lightsaber, uh, maybe he can like say a few words now, you know, like that feels like it would be earned so well, but I just see waves and waves of reactionary Star Wars fans that are like, the show sucks now. I don't like it sad, you know? Well, I, yeah, I mean, like, I guess I'm wondering, do you think that, you know, Grogu and Mando will ever be united in the same way that they were before? Um, like like you know father and son in that same way yeah i don't know like is he gonna resent him is it like when he's like you don't understand dad like, like gonna get to that point like i don't know i would hope not from everything they set up i would hope that we continue to get an a healthy father-son yeah. relationship because there is an absence of that in star wars so i hope Do they you... continue that here's another point that i think might be interesting if we do get a reunite reunite moment at some point um kayla do you think the way because look at like grogu in the scenario right his single parent is din now he's being handed off yeah. to luke skywalker do we get like a two sides of like getting like sort of a stitched together parent scenario there where it's like he has two figures to look up to step to that exactly yeah like he has he has oh, two dads God. you know at that point because he's he's still an adolescent child even though he's 50 but he's 
he's being handed off to Luke to guide him through life, and he's still like very impressionable, right? Because of development. So I'm wondering what happens at that point. And I know a lot of the points you're making about Din, I think Luke, I think in my opinion, he's never always been the typical like action hero man guy, you know? Like I I do think Luke does have a lot of that vulnerability and George Lucas, I think in his writing of most of his protagonists, while there are like the tropes of like daddy issues, I feel like Anakin and Luke specifically do have some of those feminine write, like written qualities to them that I think could be interesting and continue Grogu's development. Yeah, that's a really good point. I Well, I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was how Ahsoka said that he, he had been trained at the Jedi Temple before, so I don't know if he would just see Luke as like another mentor mm-hmm. and like miss in or if he would form an attachment well i don't know they can they form an can they form an attachment well, <laughs> i guess they're not supposed to right grogu, yeah if grogu is being trained to be a jedi maybe he doesn't form an attachment and he comes back to din and din's like no <laughs> well if you think of it that way too like luke after six we still don't really know the intricacies of his like mentorship you know like we don't know all the things he's ditching we know that in eight he's like the sacred texts but like is does he practice all those things you know in his first couple years like is he because i'd say he has an attachment to leia and han and his dad by the end of six you know yeah so i don't know i'm really curious to see if they dig into that at all yeah i think it's interesting to think about like what how this is going to affect grogu since we know that like attachment is not a great thing for a jedi cough cough Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, I, I guess, like, we're talking about this from Din's perspective, and, and it's definitely going to be hard for him. But, like, I don't know. Do you think the show's going to follow, like, how Grogu also deals with this? Um, because he is learning to be a Jedi and everything. That would be so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, parallel <laughs> yeah. stories going on. That would be really cool. I, I wonder, too. And we can... I don't know if this is straying too far, but I, I do wonder, too, because... For how few of Grogu's species there are in Star Wars, I'm wondering how long-term the Grogu game is, you know? Because Yoda has been in all three trilogies. He was 900 when he died. And we're just getting the higher public right now, which is new content. Yoda's in there, and he's like 500. So, like, are, are we laying the seeds with Grogu right now, and we're seeing the impressionable Grogu and, like, the, the parents that he's having, and then are we going to get the new trilogy? It takes place, like, 800 years in the future, and Grogu's the new Sith Lord because he formed an attachment with Din? Like, I don't, like, how long-term are we thinking right now? <laughs> I want to be... see, I, I want to see Darth Grogu, man. That's, yeah, that's really what that I want to see. Great. <laughs> but... We can we can bring it back to the. <laughs> We've strayed far off the path. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, something that we haven't talked about yet that I think is very very important um, is that Mandalorian took off his helmet for Grogu. Like he did that for him, and he, he that was like his highest thing. He was like, "I'm never taking off my helmet. Like I can't do that." But he did that like just to save save Grogu and I think that was so sweet and very fatherly that was like probably one of the biggest moments besides him crying um where I was like oh my god like he is father (laughs) go dad well we see like throughout season two like sprinkles of like you know Din starting to get like disillusioned by like the the sort of like culty like Mandalorian sect that he was grown up in and he starts to like sort of like stray away from that and that's like the really that he, the whole thing is like he doesn't take off his helmet that's like the the, the, the culmination of all of that which is really interesting um sort of seeing him sort of break away from from what he knew the only thing he knew yeah and i wonder too if i mean i feel like part of that build up as well is just him being paired with so many other mandalorians this season because we have boba fett who is now officially canonized is a mandalorian um and din is able to see his perspective on it and i think with boba fett he fills a lot of those 
standard barbaric Mandalorian characteristics, you know, and didn't seize that. He's like, oh, he's like the standard in every way, except he's taking the helmet off. And then Bo-Katan, who's going to be the leader, the heiress or whatever to Mandalore, the capital of his religion is like maskless 90 percent of the time so i i wonder if those were like also ways to build in of like keeping him doubting you know but probably i mean i don't see i don't see that any other reason for bringing in bo-katan and like um you know uh sasha bank's character i forget her name the other guy um <laughs> like yeah i don't see the reason of bringing them in other than to just like challenge those preconceptions that mando already had um yeah, since he was like living living underground and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, super cool. And I think um another thing that really struck me um as him caring for Grogu is when he like threatened Moff Gideon. Um what was it? what did he say? He's like, he means more to me than you will ever know. And I was mm. like, Whoo, okay. <laughs> so I, I really loved that. And that was like like really emotional because that was kind of at the end of like this whole arc where he's threatening this man for his kid Mm -hmm. yeah that that was a good moment for sure great moment Um, so i guess like how much of this do you think rests on din specifically building his character to wherever we're going in season three versus him sort of being this wanderer that we saw in season one that might just be a bit more impressionable now because i know a lot of the points we brought up so far is like ahsoka is the one that really gets him to open up a little more um what we were just talking about with like Bo and um boba fett sort of pushing him along those lines um uh mayfeld sort of like aggressively shoving him into doing some things that are like all pushing him towards this conclusion of where he ends up in the finale like do we do we think like what's what's your read on that kayla like basically the end the end of his arc yeah like the fact that it was reliant Mm -hmm. on a bunch of other characters to get him to there versus like introspective Hmm. I mean, yeah, I think like it all stems from him not being comfortable with taking on these like more feminine traits mm-hmm. um, and then realizing he does have he he like loves Grogu and it takes Ahsoka to tell him that like, you know, like just be vulnerable and like just stop fighting it. Like he has an attachment to you. You have an attachment to him. Like it's dangerous, but like you have to face that. Mm-hmm. Um so I think just like he, you know, like he, I think he is, I call him Dadalorian. I think he has like uh-huh. great parenting skills at the end of all of this. And like, he's finally willing to take on this like traditionally feminine role and responsibilities. And like, um, like, I don't, I mean, just from season two, like preventing Grogu from turning to the dark side just in this season, Um, like we've seen so many other sons turn to the dark side or be tempted um in star wars um so i think yeah he's just like he started as what this emotionless bounty hunter and now he's like this nurturing caretaker um and he's still remaining like a like badass warrior through it all so there's not like it's not an either or situation it's like we should be caring and we should also be warriors and strong and we can have masculine and feminine traits and it, we don't have to put anyone in a box, which I think is really important. Yeah. I think it's really interesting, the point that you made, Kayla, about, you know, it was like Ahsoka that really, really was the turning point, like the watershed moment for for Din here and realizing that, like, he is a father to Grogu um, in the sense that, you know, she realized that they both had kind of a connection with each other, affection for each other. And she's seen how that could ruin somebody, uh, turn them to the dark side. So yeah, it's 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 cool to see that come from her, and I think that's a really important thing that that you were talking about about how you know you could be you could be like this this badass bounty hunter, but still have <laughs> but still have those you know emotions and, and those 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 feminine traits. 
that you lean into. Um, and, and I think Din, Din Djarin is, is a really great example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the in, the inverse too of like showing the strength of having qualities like both masculine and feminine as well. And I think the fact that Ahsoka was the triggering point for that. I, I know, Kayla, I've talked to you about Ahsoka as sort of like filling in that role of like not necessarily leaning one way or the other in typical like um gender norms but really going in on like owning both sides right Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i was actually thinking a lot about this like why was it ahsoka that made him like realize like at first i was like oh is it because you know she's like she's a woman and she's like compassionate and is she motherly or is she she's not motherly at all and she's just seen this before she she's like experienced and strong mm-hmm. and she's kind of like slapping mando in the face a little bit um so i think that could be like a whole other yeah. topic <laughs> to go <laughs> on but i think it's interesting to examine like why it was ahsoka that changed his mind um and made him realize like his more feminine attributes yeah it's almost like it's almost like she was sort of taken aback by the fact that like he wasn't that connected to her uh, to, to grogu in a sense right like she was kind of like like what's going on here like you got to be like fatherly to him uh yeah that's it's it's interesting mm-hmm. yeah really she really whipped it into shape <laughs> she, did. she did um i know we've covered a lot of ground but do you have any other major points kayla that we didn't touch on about the main idea of mando breaking down barriers i think we covered it all pretty well and just how he's continuously blurring the lines between masculinity and femininity and i think it's very important like in star wars to consider that and see how it reflects us in our own society um just just with with star wars fans and with the way the movies have been it's like really really refreshing to have this focus on um this like strong warrior who's taken over this father role sure i mean yeah i feel like these themes aren't really explored that much in in mainstream media so it's cool to see mandalorian with such the reach that it has talk about these issues and stuff for sure yeah yeah and i go ahead Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, like, in season one of Mandalorian, there was a lot of criticism of how um, not a lot of women were in it. And if they were, they didn't get speaking roles. So I think the season did fix that issue for the most part. Um, And important to keep talking about this because, yeah, like, why don't we talk about feminism in Star Wars? There's a reason for that, too. So it's definitely important to keep having conversations like this. Mm -hmm. What a better character to explore those things than a Mandalorian bounty hunter, right? Yeah. See, that's that's what I think is the fun part, too, because, like, yeah. I think I, I did a this was like one of my final assignments for college. I did a video essay about Mad Max Fury Road, which is also a very, very, like, pro feminism action movie type deal about this badass bounty hunter, Mad Max. Right. But it's not about him. And I think it's very fun when the crowd that listens to Star Wars or like Star Wars enjoys movies like this. It's like don't make it political what are you talking about stuff like that like it's so funny to me because specifically i thought mad max where you market like literally the dude's name is in the movie and it's tom hardy first billing but it's furiosa's movie you know it's about her so i i think it's fun when uh the the creatives behind projects use the front that just makes a lot of people that are bigots look foolish when they don't get the point (laughs) Yeah, and then another movie I thought of is when we saw Birds of Prey. Sure. That was, like, such a great, like, feminist movie because it didn't scream at you, but there were just, like, little tidbits in there that really communicated, like, the viewpoint of a woman in, like, such a badass role. So, yeah, that was cool. All these examples, too, definitely from, like, you know, marketing or whatever doesn't scream that, but it's it's interesting that, like, and good that you know we have mainstream art that's sort of subverting subverting viewers' expectations and talking about these things. Sure. Well, uh, I thought that was a great podcast episode. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
as we wrap up, Kayla, is there anything you want to shout out and plug? I know you do some Star Wars content here and there. Yeah, um, you can follow me on TikTok. I think I'm just at Kayla Karloff. That is K-A-L-A-H-A-R-L-O-F-F. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Kayla KK. Um, yeah, Facebook, I'm also at Kayla Karloff. Um, I have some music you can listen to, some TikToks you can watch, some short films you can consume that Christian is also in. (laughs) So those are my plugs. My main Star Wars content comes from TikTok. Nice. Uh, Also, Mike, what about you? Uh, So I'm not on TikTok. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike P. Connors, uh, but definitely uh, follow Kayla on TikTok and Christian because Christian's got some good TikToks good star wars tiktoks too i know mm-hmm. thank you very much um yeah you can follow me everywhere at shunty <laughs> too that's a new at um we're leading it. into the star wars stuff um this show though this is a bonus episode of jedi knights like i said the star wars podcast for joy clicks the video version of this show is available youtube.com slash joy clicks episodes every tuesday night this episode is an exception to that like i said it's a bonus one but uh, new episodes every Tuesday night. Um, also available on podcast services like Apple Podcasts, Spotify. If you listen to it in audio format, it'd be greatly appreciated if you gave the show a review or a, a star rating. It takes a second, helps us out a lot. Uh, we also have Patreon, patreon.com slash joyclicks if you want to get involved. Uh, the one in $5 tiers will get you little bonuses and $5 gets you producer credit on all of our podcasts, including this one. And I think that wraps it up so um as we sign off should we just all do it this is the way well i just want to i want to thank kayla for coming on that was that was really great um, yeah oh, thank you for having me i watch you guys and i listen to you guys so much and like i said i'm i'm mike's biggest fan <laughs> <laughs> um, for so long really great uh to be on with you guys because i know christian i have many conversations about star wars and i'm always begging for him to put me in the spotlight yes <laughs> well thank you again um do you have a quote you want to sign off with kale me yeah because me and mike have ours locked Um, down but do you want do you have one in mind sure okay i have one does it have to be star wars i mean if you'd want it to be but sure go with whatever your heart tells you Okay. okay so uh thanks for watching and until next time we're fine everything's fine how are you May the force be with you. Be people with kindness. Oh, yes, 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 you're right. Beep is up.